0: So when we define inclusion, we just put it in a small little encapsulated soundbite, and that is inclusion is the fight against exclusion.
1: Welcome to EducationRx. The education system in the US is sick, and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm
2: Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting.
1: We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is EducationRx. All right, we are back for season two. This is exciting. We had a great season one and we got to do a lot of focus on social emotional learning which is how students learn to manage all kinds of feelings, frustration, anger, depression, anxiety, all of those things, and how in education we're having to really focus on that, especially post-COVID, since we all live through this major stress, traumatic situation. So that was season one. It was great. We had amazing people. And now we're in season two, and we're going to go a completely different route. So today we
2: are going to talk about inclusive learning, and we got to interview the authors of Inclusive Learning 365
1: right? And that's going to be our overarching theme for this whole season. The topic of inclusion, it's become kind of like a trend in the United States. We're seeing a lot of schools and districts move to a fully inclusive model. And actually the district I'm currently working in is working on going to a fully inclusive model within our district. So I think it's a hot topic for right now.
2: Yeah, and we get our authors to kind of give their definition of inclusion, which was really nice. Right,
1: cuz it's it's not what you think it is. Like, I think we all go instantly to, oh, inclusive learning means we take students who are significantly physically or cognitively impaired and we put them in a general ed classroom, but these guys give such a lovely definition that I think it really opens up our minds about what this should actually look like. Yeah, so let's talk to them. All right, yeah, let's talk to them. They had some super cool information, and one of the things I liked was they talked a little bit about some issues that we'll be looking at throughout the season, standardized testing, how teachers can shift, good stuff. So let's listen for that. So good morning. We are really lucky today because we were able to get three of the four authors for Inclusive Learning 365. And Shannon and I are here with them this morning. So we're going to start by letting them introduce themselves, I guess. What do you think, Karen? We'll let Karen go first. Ladies first. (laughs) Ladies first.
3: (laughs) Thank you both. This is so fun to be here and be part of this conversation, because it's such an important one at the national level and even international level. But but um, so I'm the northerner in the group. I'm just north of Boston. And I my name is Karen Janowski. I am an, a, an inclusive and assistive technology facilitator. And I have my own private practice north of Boston where there's, there's six of us on the team. And we are we get to make a difference here in Massachusetts because we're all about reaching every learner through innovative, inclusive, assistive technologies. Nice, and you're an the best job therapist. in the world. Yeah, I'm, and I'm occupational. an occupational therapist by background. Yes, and I worked in the schools for many years.
1: Yeah, so you and I have that in common. We have yes. that. Yeah. she
3: <laughs> definitely. We're all about independence.
2: Yes, for sure. Yeah, let's have Mike introduce himself.
4: All right, sounds good. Well, uh, hello, everybody. It's so nice to be here. Uh, I, I always laugh when we start introducing ourselves, and Karen did it. By the way, I'm Mike Morata. How are you? I'm. I'm. If we, our, our team is an I-95 corridor team on the East Coast, and so Karen's our northernmost person. I'm next in New Jersey, so that was good that you guys worked that out that way. That's the way we normally will introduce ourselves anyway, and uh, I'm really excited to be here for this conversation. I love talking about this topic. I love getting together with my friends that I wrote this book with. I love meeting new friends, so this is going to be wonderful. I'm a bit of an outlier in, in our backgrounds in the group, which I always find to be really fun to talk about, is I'm an engineer by training, but yet if you were to ask me what I am, I am an educator now. I work in education supporting everyone there, the learners and the educators in those rooms. I am a, my official title, I guess, is assistive technology specialist, but you'll learn quickly. We don't like the titles we have, so we made ourselves new titles and I would (laughs) call myself an inclusive technology evangelist. Like Karen, I'm an independent consultant. I go around and, and work with organizations, helping them spread the word about the power of technology to support all learners, I have another hat that I wear also in our state. I am our state's director for our Assistive Technology Act project. So, if you're in the US, every state has an AT Act project. You should go find yours uh, because they do a lot of great stuff in your state to connect people to assistive technology. So, again, Ooh, great to be awesome. here with you guys today.
1: I didn't oh. know that. There I you go. I've I already that. learned something. <laughs>
4: well, then I'm done. I'm going to check out. Then, everybody, take care. I'm out. I mean,
1: bye bye. All right, Chris. Last but definitely not least, and for everyone listening, I am a Chris fan. I will not butcher your last name. You're going to have to share it with us. But Chris has been doing AT stuff and podcasting for a really long time. I have followed him for a long time. And so I'm geeking out. Here goes Chris.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you, Holly. I'm smiling from ear to ear from that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really humbled by it. Before we talk about me, let's talk about who's not here. So Mike had mentioned that uh, we, when we introduce ourselves, we typically move down the 95, route 95, interstate 95. The person who's not here is, is with us is Beth Poss. Beth Poss is in Maryland, and she is a speech language pathologist, Shannon. And she couldn't be here with us today, but we'd be remiss to not mention her as one of the key authors here of the four of us of Inclusive Learning 365. And then myself, so okay, so now to me, I also, Shannon, I am also a speech language pathologist, but about three years into my career, the school district that I work for here in Northern Virginia said, hey, do you want to be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team? And that was many years ago. And so I said yes, and I've never looked back. And so now I think of myself as someone who works in inclusive design with a speech language pathology background, as opposed to a speech language pathologist that works in inclusive design, if that makes sense. And Karen, yeah. I'm looking at you. You would that be fair with you in occupational therapy? Yes,
3: definitely. Yeah. 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 It's in our DNA. We can't take that out and we bring a unique perspective to it. Like with Mike, you as an engineer, you have that big pitch picture view. You really, you know, see from a systems approach. So we all bring a different lens, but it makes a really powerful
0: team. Yeah, my day job is to work for Loudoun County Public Schools in Northern Virginia as the assistive technology specialist. But like Mike said, There's just a specialist tier. So there's other specialists too. And so I just happen to have specialists tagged on to after the term assistive technology. But how I think of myself is as an inclusive design facilitator, someone who works with educators to help them design educational experiences for everyone, uh, people with disabilities and people without. And then the last, I guess, little thing here is that if you were to, if you you happen to be watching the video rather than listening to the audio, you'd see that I got these black headphones on and I got the fancy mic here in front of me. Well, and we were joking just before we hit the record button that I'm in my closet because the closet gives us the best sound quality. Um, But I also co-host a podcast called Talking with Tech. And with Rachel Madel, Rachel is a private speech language pathologist out on the West coast and in LA. And then I'm over here on the East. She was private. I worked for a public school and our podcast, the talking with tech podcast is all about augmentative alternative communication, which if you're like, well, I don't have any kids that use that. You will, it's continuing to grow and it's coming right. If you don't already have it, but I bet you do. Right. I mean, I bet a lot of your listeners already have AAC users.
1: Definitely. And we've, and I have to tell you, I will brag on Shannon who I'm all blurred out there. I, am. <laughs> I will brag on Shannon. I have worked. So I've been working in schools on and off for 24 years as an OT and coming up here and working with Shannon, I have seen Shannon figure out effective AACs for students that I don't know how she did it. And it worked. Like <laughs> we have a student who is on the spectrum Blind doesn't speak, and she found an AAC. After all the elementary, te- you know, uh, speech therapists, have, she found she is so good at that. That is a gift. She is so good at that. So if you need somebody who can solve the problem, this lady's got it.
0: Awesome, Shannon. Awesome.
1: <laughs> I'm just the
2: opposite of you, Chris. I am an. I've been an SLP for 23 years almost now, and so I've been doing AT for the last. What few years? I feel like our district was a little behind, and they didn't jump in 20 years ago and say, We need somebody to build AT. So they're just thinking about it now, mm. unfortunately.
1: Five years ago, our this district went from being with like sort of a co-op for service providers to sponsoring their own. And so Shannon and I both came over to where and so we started their AT department five years ago. So that's it. That's as long as this district's been doing it.
0: Well, I'm going to give them credit because I think there's still a lot of places that don't have anybody there, or they, it's other duties as assigned. So Shannon, all the other speech therapists, Holly, all uh, the other- Oh, well, we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, it is case. that way. Gotcha. Yes, yes. I this agree, is, Chris. I thought the, the same side. thing. I'm
4: like, boy, someone's going to listen to this and say, man, I wish our team was doing AT for five years. Like, I wish <laughs> we were already five years in. That's so true. I think that there's there's a spectrum of a range sure. of people who are providing that service, so- Good on you. Congrats. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Well, we brought all you guys here today because we read your book, Inclusive Learning 365. And honestly, the beginning, it's just the beginning chapter that really gives the intro. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that today because that's the foundation of what we're going to talk about this whole season. But then your whole book, like three-fourths or more of the book, you give actual hands-on, do this, you can try it tomorrow. Things for educators of all kinds to use and tap into. It's amazing. So many good ideas. So let's start by talking about what brought you guys to wanting to write about inclusive learning and how you guys came
0: together. I guess I'll start with this one. Does that sound good, Karen and Mike? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Karen, Mike, and I have known and Beth have known each other for many, many years, going to conferences together. When social media first became a thing, we were all early adopters and really connected that way as well. So we might see each other at in-person events, but then you know, having similar philosophies and 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 outlook on, on education, we continued together. Karen and Mike continue to run a a Twitter chat every week called AT chat. I'll put a plug in for you guys for that. Okay. So check that out every Wednesday, hashtag AT chat. But uh so, so that's how we've kind of known each other over the years and realized that we have similar uh, takes on things and philosophies and missions in, in our lives. But the book itself, where that came from, is that our the team that I work on with Loudoun County Public Schools many years ago created a strategy for professional learning, what's called the strategy a day calendar. And the idea was it was a rip-off day calendar, just like you know, puppy of a day, joke of a day, you know, you've seen those calendars, right? So we created one called strategy a day. And it was just one little tidbit every day about, oh, I didn't know Word did this. I didn't know we had this on this website. I didn't know this tool existed. I didn't know there was this low tech strategy that I could use that was available in our library, whatever, you know, just as an awareness factor. And it went like hotcakes. So teachers loved it on their desks, reading it off, ripping it off. It was just great. And then as the years went on, administration changed, funding changed, and that that strategy went away. The calendar went away. And then I approached Karen and Mike and Beth and was like, let's write a book. Let's do that. And so one page a day, you know, and that's the idea. It's 365. There's that beginning chapter that you mentioned, but then the design of the book is one strategy per day.
1: Nice. I yeah. didn't realize that. So there's 365 oh. Yeah, it's super. The, oh, 366, because well, 366, 366
2: is a really good page, but we can talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, the layout of the book is
3: very convenient and easy to follow. Yeah, and the way, so Beth, Mike, and I were just, I, I know, speaking for myself, really honored to be asked by Chris, because Holly, just like you, yeah, we were in awe of Chris as a rock star in our field. Right. So it's really wonderful to be, uh, and honored to be um po- asked to be part of this process and this book project, which is we believe needs to be in the hands of every educator, not limited to special ed, but in every educator's hands. Yes. It's such an important
4: book. Yeah, and, I and think talk the whole about point. That. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, Holly, the whole point of the 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 simple approach to the like the ninety eight percent of the book is is to underscore the point that this is not complex all the time. Finding ways to be creative in your classroom with learning doesn't have to be complex and feel unattainable. Some of these things, like Chris mentioned, you know, a page on did you know Word does this? Did you know Google Docs does this? We want people to have those aha moments like, well, wait a second. I know Google Docs. I didn't know it did that. I think I can do that. And then start thinking about how they structure their entire environment to facilitate learning for all with these simple solutions.
0: And then just to underscore that point, we sort of recognize that change could happen with some giant meteor that comes down and smashes into the earth and <laughs> with all the dinosaurs, but it's very rare that that happens, right? I hope, let's all look up in the sky and make sure there's not a meteor coming. Right but the way change mostly happens though is little bits like like the grand canyon little molecules of water over time create this this major change in the landscape and that's the idea behind 365 we we all know educators have have very little time and so but could you carve out a little bit of time to read one page for one day you know for an entire year and if you do that especially with this book the idea is that you're you will now become your mindset will change. It'll be a, just a little drop every day, starts to change your mindset to to become more inclusive.
1: Absolutely. And so for everyone listening, how do you guys, because I thought you did a beautiful job of this in the intro chapter, talk about how you define inclusion.
4: I say we let Chris say it because I Chris has a Chris had a nugget this has become the Chris hour. I love it. I think it's great. (laughs) I think it's fantastic, Chris. Congrats. Congrats to you. But Chris has a really great way of approaching this and and we really like it. So I'll I'll let him share.
0: So when we define inclusion, we just put it in a small little encapsulated soundbite. And that is inclusion is the fight against exclusion. So anything that's excluding anybody, we're trying to struggle against that. We're trying to wage war against it. I don't know why these aggressive terms, Mike, I don't know why it's war and fight, but it is, it's a thought of, we have to stop being exclusive. And and the the way we, that's how we become inclusive is stop being exclusive.
4: And I like, and I like those terms like that, because I like that idea of they, they are maybe a smidge aggressive, and I do like that part, but it, but it, there's action behind it, right? It, there's an action there. It's like this, you you have to do this. and And I love that. I think it really boils the whole conversation down to a very simple focus is that we have to find ways that all can participate. And that is the fight against exclusion.
3: It also requires reflection because we've got to stop and think who's being left out by whatever strategies, methods that we're using. So it also requires you know which is part of, of action as well. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, going back to what you know why the book and and about the the main philosophy, we hear a lot about mindset. we've heard a lot like growth mindset and what we want to help facilitate, is adopting that inclusive mindset. How can we ensure that every learner is included, that the fight against ex- uh, exclusion is ongoing, but through reflection, we can implement these simple strategies that do reach every learner. Yeah.
1: That's beautiful. No, I love that, that, the way that you worded that. I That's why I wanted to snag you to say it out loud because I think it's beautiful. And I think people take too much detail to it. And it really just boils down to, we don't want anyone excluded. And right now, especially post COVID, and a lot of these issues were coming up pre COVID. So, but COVID sort of microwaved everything. And now we have kids that are typical learners in general education classes, but aren't reading and writing at fourth and fifth grade, because of that gap with virtual learning. And so even those students, need our support. It doesn't just mean kids on IEPs or kids that look significantly impaired. None of it's everyone. And I love that. I love how you you guys say that.
0: Holly, let's just reflect on that for a second. Uh, I think it's important for people to realize that special education or even the concept of disability is really a human construct, meaning we, we created it, we made it up right? But people are just people with different abilities. And if you just think everyone in the world is just a person and they have different abilities, some and those abilities change. Someone yeah. might break an arm and their abilities change, right? So if you just think of somebody in that regard or everybody in that regard, then we don't put people in these buckets of, well, this is a special ed student and this is a general ed student. They're all just learners and they all have abilities. And our our role is to guide them to increase those abilities,
2: I really like thinking about it that way. It makes a big difference, I think.
1: Well, and in yeah. one of your other books, and I think it's in this book too, you talk about, and I really want to promote this concept. You talk about not calling educators teachers, <laughs> but calling them educational experience designers in your well, other yeah. book. So yeah, yeah educators, but we are, we're designing the experience that students are going to have And we have to design it so that we're tapping into their abilities and giving them workarounds for anything that would be considered a disability or hindrance from their learning. So I just think that's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, the the term educational experience design or educational experience designers in, in a different book, not the Inclusive Learning 365 book. That said, where that comes from, though, is if we talked about the comet coming down and smashing into the yeah. earth. Well, what if we were invaded by aliens? Aliens came down right now and they said, hey, we don't have teachers in our planet. What's a teacher? We might go over to a strategy, just like every other teacher that uses this strategy. Every other educator says, well, if here's a vocabulary word you don't know. Let's look it up. And if you did a Google image search right now for the word teacher, what you'd probably get is a woman standing in front of a chalkboard, whatever that is, because we haven't seen those in ten years, hovering over kids, lecturing at them, and that is exactly the opposite of what we want the education to be. We know that doesn't really work for everybody. It maybe works for a small segment of the population. So. But if the, if if we were to say if you were anyone were to go to our parents and go hey uh, mom dad explain what a teacher is that's what conjures up in their mind is someone lecturing to somebody else it's cracking their head open spit, grabbing a pitcher pouring it into their brain and then and that's not how information really works that's not how learning works so so what's a different better way we I, I don't know that we can redefine teacher but we can maybe say hey what if we didn't call them teachers what if we called them educational experience designer that conjures a different image in people's mind yeah absolutely and And the other part too oh chris what i I was just gonna say and maybe holly shannon maybe they get paid more (laughs) (laughs) maybe you get paid more if you're educational experience designer yeah
3: (laughs) And the other thing, too, is when we think about the teacher at the front of the room lecturing, I mean, where's the evidence that says that that is the most effective way for learning? You know,
1: and yeah, as OTs, funny. I think we're, that's sort of our brain from the second we start our programs and learning to become OTs is we're looking at stuff. And I think it's true for teachers. I think it's true for speech therapists. We're looking at whoever we're working with and how do we get you from point A to point B, you want to be able to do B and you're over here at A, how do we get you there? And so I think it's just a really lovely marriage of skills, what you guys have on your team. Like you said, you know, Mike has that big overarching view, but it's so cool to see how each special to, specialist on your team brings something to the table for sure.
0: Holly, can I just comment on that for a second? I love how you said that, get you from A to B, But I would also add one extra component there, and that is to get to Z meaning oftentimes in when it comes to special education, we've been trained to be thinking in year segments because of the IEP. So we think of annual goals, but if we don't see at the very end game, where's the skill actually going, we can r- run into the problem where we make progress every year and we didn't actually, we just spun our wheels. We find right. this a lot with AAC Shannon because uh yeah, okay. They made progress. Now they could say one more word, but they, they graduate and they can't really combine sentences. They can't combine Words to say sentences. Yeah, they made progress, but they didn't get the, to the end goal. So yes, A to B, but really thinking how do we get to Z?
4: Absolutely. And and that whole idea of of these technology skills that we're that we're bringing into the environment as a learning experience, Chris. Going to that same thought, that idea of when that student transitions out, are they connected? To a deeper understanding of what made them successful with those tools and those experiences. So, as they go out to be an adult and they start adulting, like the rest of us are doing, do they understand what they need from an environment, from a situation in order to be successful with the skill set they have? You know, it goes back to that idea of the, the universal design for learning principles the idea of an expert learner. Are they an expert in themselves to have a deeper understanding of what makes them tick? as a learner, instead of these things just being done at them for so long, are they an active, engaged participant in this? And I'll steal one of Chris's uh, pieces from, that we'll probably get to at some point anyway. Do we empower them to embrace the, the ownership of this and be successful? And we this We have a
3: is, student, I'm oh, so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Wally. You have like a delay, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you, go. No, it's this is this is an essential point for people to really grasp, you know, that Chris what Chris alluded to and uh, that that long term view Mm -hmm. and empowering our learners for success beyond their life in high school, are we empowering them to build their strategic competence to identify what works for me, what works for me, depending on the situation. And I think that that's something that we want to empower educators to realize that's part of their responsibility as well. Let's show them what's possible and help learners develop the toolkit that works best for them. Karen,
0: Karen, can I just comment on that? Because the the strategy there is to allow them to make yeah. a mistake right because yeah. this way yeah. when they make it so you you could see it you you've got experience as an as an educator see this okay this learner is gonna this learner is gonna pick some sort of thing and that's not gonna work and you're gonna want to tell them to do something different and you know <laughs> gosh especially if they're in middle or high school you tell them to do that they're gonna dig their heels in and want to do it so in the same way that karen was talking about earlier of um at inviting educators to reflect on their practice and ask questions who am i leaving out What Mike is saying is, well, let's ask. And Karen is saying is, let's let's invite the learner, make them some mistakes and then ask them afterwards. Our role is not to give them necessarily the strategy that will absolutely work for them. Let them try and do something and then ask, hey, how'd that work for you? What would you do different next time? Oh, you like that? Okay, what tweaks would you make? And that really shifts our role as educators to giving them answers to kind of being the guide. You've probably heard this phrase before, the guide on the side.
1: Yeah, no, and I love that. I love that concept, and I know that we've been hearing it for a while, but this is a time that we must absolutely start putting that into practice at a level we haven't before nationwide. We've got to shift from those sort of old school methods and move into what is really going to be effective now because of the generation, because of the gaps that we're seeing post COVID and just where we're at with technology. There's so much more we can do. And I
2: definitely see those changes working with secondary. Like I'm actually in the post-secondary. It's called Pathways to Independence is what what we term our post-secondary program. But I do see that at the later stages of high school. But earlier on in elementary and middle school, that's
4: not nearly as much. Do you see anything towards that Z point? Right. Because Shannon, that's so critical. How many of those individuals are you working with where they they might not have just a a deeper understanding of the power of the smartphone they hold in their hand and the recognition that well wait a second this thing has a calendar in it yep. and this thing has a task list in it like they don't make those connections yet and that becomes critical these are not school accommodations anymore these are Life, life, necessity, skills they need to have and find. And sometimes they need that, that kind of that moment, you know, Chris's aha moment. We talk about that idea of, you know, what worked for you and what didn't, why didn't it work? How might it work as you go forward? Asking them some of those questions to have them think critically about this.
0: No way, Mike, sorry, you got to put that phone away, put it in your backpack, put it in the closet. (laughs) I don't want to see it in my classroom, Mike. Well, and then be shocked that they don't know how to use it when they leave to help them really become better learners. Same thing, we're having that, we've had that conversation that fight around uh, one example of mobile phones and here it comes again with AI, right? Mm -hmm. Let's lock that thing down, chat GPT, no way, it's cheating. What? It's You're going to go into a world where everyone's using it. So let's teach them how to use it rather than lock it down exactly all right who
3: here has has used chat gpt already as a productivity tool i know i have and chris yeah i have i'm raising my
0: hand too janet and holly you know what we're talking about are you No, no, okay.
3: no. Tell us and share. It's a, it's a side
0: note, but okay. So th- see, this one of those things. This is uh, it's a side comment here, but it's one of those things where Mike, Karen, and I live in the same social circles professional circles. And sometimes we can kind of get, I know I am, I, I finally said, look, everybody must know about this, but it's only because the algorithm has painted me into a bubble and I can't have to break through that bubble. I think, okay, so, because it's in. In my TikTok, in my Instagram, it's every other post is some sort of AI tool, right? Because the 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 interwebs know who I am now and know that I'm interested in this. Right, Mike? Are you similar? I That's am also making? in the
4: interwebs and they know what I am <laughs> and what I'm about.
0: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the same here, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so what it what uh oh, this is there's a website called Chat GPT. It's what is it, Mike? Open AI. Oh, uh, open AI. And, yeah. Yeah. And if you Google it, you just it'll come right up. It's a free resource. You can create an account like any other tool. But this, uh, I don't even know if yet they have a, a premium version. It's just free. It's just- you ask you ask it a question and AI answers it. And when it answers it, it's. Pretty ridiculously amazing how it re answers it. It's like uh, when I first started playing with it, I actually used it in context with Karen and Mike's AT chat. That the it's not theirs, but you know what I mean. Like they Mm -hmm. they run it. They had posted five questions. I took these so pretty niche questions related to I can't remember what it was. Did Mike Karen? Do you remember?
3: It was was about technology and about you know like. And oh, what, you are
0: no taking. It was no taking strategies. We were t- it was the the chat was all about no-taking strategies. I took these five questions that they had posted for a Twitter chat and p- posted it into the chat GPT and it wrote blog posts answering these questions that I don't know if I had posted those answers that Karen and Mike wouldn't know that it was actually me posting it. Like they wouldn't know. I mean, I would make some tweaks, but it was probably 95, 90 to 95% what I would have said on obscure like note-taking strategies, right? And so this is used now, people are using it to, to fix their code. They're helping to generate their, their whatever sort of essay they might need to write. Mm-hmm. I certainly used it with my own son. He had to write an essay. I was like, throw it in there again. It's not, it's a, it's a tool to help you generate. And really what it is is sophisticated word prediction, you know? But the point is, it's not going away. This is just one of a billion, Mike, you're on a project right now where you are collecting AI tools, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. We're just, we're
4: just finding resources about that so we can share it with people so they have a deeper understanding of what these things can do. Cause like Chris said, people's first gut reaction is lock that down. I mean, right. we've seen schools already do this, where they've said that is banned, and and it needs us to take a step back, kind of like any of the things we talk about in the book, and look at this creatively, and say what benefit could this give our learners? How could they use this as a tool? All of our t- all the technology in the book is simply a tool to help you complete a task. That's what these things are, um, and this is just one more. It's flashy and it's fancy and it does it itself. Like Chris says, and when you look at it, it's pretty amazing what it comes up with. But it's- inviting,
0: inviting this particular tool into your educational environment, then bringing us back to the conversation of inclusion yeah. can help you create a culture of inclusion, right? The technology supports your mindset of how I want this. And so now here there's this new technology rather than ban it. How can we use it to help us design something more inclusive?
4: Yeah. one of the One of the things I've seen people talking about is as a hope for AI- is for people who use AAC devices to have that running and providing responses in more of a real time because the AI will start to learn how the communicator wants to share information and will customize the responses, but generate them quickly. And we all know some of the issues that we struggle with with people with AAC sometimes is the speed in which it, 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 yeah. the time that it takes them to generate a response. And they, you know, that people are talking about the idea: of, is this tool a path to facilitating more communication for individuals with AAC?
1: So, as devil's advocate, I'm a teacher. You're telling me I should let this technology into my classroom, but I'm also seeing that kids don't have the skills to write the paragraph, to come up with all the information, and put it into a legible sentence and everything else. And now, you know, my reaction as a teacher is like, no, my job is to teach them how to write this, you're telling me to let them use an AI to write it for them, how will they get that skill?
3: I don't know necessarily that we're saying use the AI to do the writing, but I think you know part of it is well, let's let's throw out an example, let's give it to the AI, let's evaluate, let's use it as an evaluation tool. How effective was it? We can critique what the AI is doing, and you know use that as part of the learning process and a springboard for instruction. So there's you know the other reality is there will students will explore this. I mean, we as educators have been exploring it and it has improved the quality, some of the, the writing that I've done. So how can we harness that power in an effective way?
0: Karen, let me jump in there and say, okay, if you, how do you teach them to write now? Well, one thing you might yeah. do yeah. is provide them a visual prompt. Okay. Here's a picture. Tell us about it. Right? Does that mean that they'll never develop the skill to be able to draw, develop pictures in their mind? You've been providing, well, you've been giving this crutch of, of giving them a picture all these years. No, that's not what happens, right? It's a tool that they use, and then they say, oh, well, I can now imagine something in my mind that I'm going to describe. It's a bridge, right? Same thing, do, Holly, Shannon, do you spell check?
1: Yes, absolutely, right. 100%. Okay.
0: <laughs> same thing, right? Like, did, has that really hindered your ability to spell, or does it help your ability to spell? Does it help you become more effective communicator? So same thing here, well, okay, Let's use this to get some ideas out. If I'm really stuck and I don't, I'm not sure how to generate a a paragraph. This gets me started. Now the skill changes. It's not how how do I generate it? It's how do I tweak it? How do I know that the AI actually is accurate? How do I make it more fun? It's boring AI. Yeah, it's accurate, but it has no personality. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the mic factor. You know what I mean? I got to put mic factor in there so that it's, uh, so it's fun for people to read. Do you know what I mean? So, and then how do I cite it? You know, sometimes it's not cited. So it's the skills change. And our guy, our role as educators is to guide them to help to develop those new skills.
4: And I could see it. I could see it as part of the part of the the writing process in that revision phase of I've written something that I don't know has gotten to the core of what I need to do. Perhaps I input into that into put that into the AI and say, add more description here, and then get something out. And now I'm critically analyzing the text and making some decisions, or I'm asking deeper, more probing questions. Of the AI to get more information, that is a skill also, and so this this idea uh, of that this is going to ruin education. Well, I, I don't really think that's the case at all. I feel pretty comfortable standing on that soapbox and saying I don't think so.
0: Right. I'll give you one more one more practical example. Right. Something that has happened over the last five years is that we have seen word prediction become embedded into our workflow, right? Uh, Holly, Shannon, you guys use Gmail, right? Or Outlook. And it gives you little suggestions at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, oh, it's suggesting that I might say, thank you. Hey, thank you for this, right? Well, that's, that's a prompt to me. Hey, I should be that's a social skill. I should be thanking somebody here, right? Did we did that take away someone's ability to, be, to learn a social skill or did it help them learn the social skill? Oh, this is what I'm supposed to say, right? So again, it's a tool that can be used to help someone learn a skill, not prevent them from learning a skill.
2: Right. So I guess that kind of brings us to another question. Do you see any downsides or negative impacts for inclusion? Like what a classroom looks like teachers spending more time with students on IEPs or students who have higher needs or that kind of just
1: what is it how does it look different because if you're a parent or a teacher and you're a parent of a student that does not have an IEP are you gonna you know do you have a concern especially if you're listening to this podcast well is this gonna impact my student getting quality education I think that's a good question because I think people have it and I think teachers think it will be also a detriment to what they're trying to do, you know, for the entire class. And so I think there's good information you can share here.
4: I think that there's a good, there, there's an interesting opportunity here. And I'll, I'll think back to my own children in their classrooms um, when I would go to back to school night and I, and I would see there was a co-teacher in the classroom which might have been my first indicator that there were some students with different needs in that room. I always was very excited because that meant there were two people in the room leading things. And When I, when I think about our educators that are supporting individuals, perhaps on IEPs or 504s, one characteristic of that educator that I tend to think is pretty universal is they are pretty creative in what they do. And for me, creativity lends itself to being flexible in the classroom, which in my mind makes me think all have a better chance of being successful, all the learners, because of that creativity and that flexibility and that, well, why don't we try it kind of approach to things? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that could easily benefit every learner in the classroom.
3: And and another point, too, is when we are designing learning experiences that are learner-centered and that are passion-driven... Then, you know, then we're individualizing for all of our learners and every child in that, in that learning space can potentially benefit because we're not, you know, we're not pigeonholing kids. We're not, we're just allowing them to, to work off of their strengths and their abilities and to, and we're scaffolding their, and their support, you know, where they need more support. And the other thing too is, you know, one child might be really strong in math. But their literacy skills are still developing, and other learners might be, you know, very much uh, may, might be excellent writers, but they need more support in math. And so we're not, you know, that myth of average. We're not average or we're not at the same level depending on what scale we're talking about. So we're individualizing, customizing, and creating, and facilitating a learning environment that reaches all. And that's the point. That's universal design, that's inclusive mindset. That's inclusive learning.
0: The only and thing then, I have
1: go ahead and say what you were going to say and then after you make your comment Chris I will have a question for you.
0: Okay so the the only thing I have to add to what Karen and Mike said is that if it, 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 how you might convince a parent that this sort of environment is good for every learner is to look at the research. So all right maybe if you were to pull out the research on inclusion you would find that every learner does better on the standardized test at the end, right? Everybody has better outcomes. Like all the research on this, I, I know I'm just using the generic term research, but if you were to, you know, do just a, a par- parents, go do a Google search on is inclusion good? You're going to find that everybody benefits. When we, there's school districts, there's one in Indiana that, that jumps to the mind Bartholomew, am I thinking? Of it? Yeah, went all in on universal design for learning. We're gonna teach our educators how to design inclusively under the principles of this thing called universal design for learning. You don't have to get too in the weeds there, but they just spent some time trying to develop inclusive practices, and then they measured their their success for all learners, and it went up. Everyone did better. <laughs> so it, it, whatever your fear might be, the research doesn't pan out. To, to to that your child is going to do worse they're going to do better
1: that was actually what i was going to ask you <laughs> i was going to say do you guys did you find good research when you were writing your book about how inclusion impacts all learners not just students who have unique needs but all students have unique needs it's so hard to find a way to put it into terms that listeners will stay on board with us because it is students who have IEPs. A lot of people think that's what we're targeting, and we're not. We're really trying to get everybody understanding all students have unique needs. All students are at a different place in their educational journey, and we're trying to look at inclusion as how do we meet all those needs, and it doesn't matter if it's cultural. It doesn't matter if it's physiological or cognitive or emotional. yeah, emotional, because we're seeing so much of that, especially post-COVID. I think the world went through a trauma, and I think it's rational to think it's going to impact everyone for a while while we get it back together. So that was exactly what I was going to ask you. Was it about? I have, a great,
0: I have a great resource here. I think the, the National Educational Technology Plan, NETP, if you just Google that, that was developed in the Obama era, did not change in the Trump era and is still in place today with with uh, updates so meaning it crosses political lines right? It's, right it's it's so no one can look at it and go oh well that's some sort of you know indoctrination or whatever nonsense right it's it's been across both political parties so are all political parties so the, the and there is where they're talking about in that national educational technology plan is where you can see from a national level like oh there there we are promoting inclusion because and that's where these numbers come from the Bartholomew and some of the stories are in that national educational technology plan so that would be a great resource to share with your listeners or for any parent that has concerns that that their child is going to be somehow negatively impacted right? And then I'll give one last strategy too. And that is, I think what most parents want for their kids is to be successful. Let's put that in quotes. What does that mean? Yes. So you leave, your the education, you graduate, you go on to maybe a job or a secondary, then get a job. Well, what we know from, from all the companies that have been successful out there is that diversity works and you want people from diverse backgrounds so you can create tools and technologies and solutions for the widest range of people ever you want your largest base that you sell your product to right so sure. so again having some experience working with everybody really behooves the next generation of of people that enter the workforce
1: well and i think that one of the things we were just talking about talking about using that chat gpt and how it would impact what the teacher has been working toward. And everything that I'm hearing you're saying in the answers is that maybe we need to shift what we're working toward. Maybe it's not, can you write a sentence with exact you know punctuation that's correct, but is it, do you have the skills to analyze the information being thrown at you to determine if it's correct or not, that if it's legitimate or not, is it enough information, do you need more... And I think that is a really good takeaway for listeners that it is time. It is time in this nation that we shift our goals and our standards so that they're timely for what is necessary and needed in this generation's world. Because these kids are going to be the adults leading the world at some point. We need to make
3: sure we're giving them the right skills to do that. Can I say hallelujah? that's exactly it yeah we're all about promoting a shift you know just just changing mindsets and and that and and what you said perfectly um summarizes where we need to be and and what we need to help promote through the education process really well spoken holly
0: One of our favorite strategies in the book, Kali, Karen, I can't remember what number it is. Three? Maybe it's strategy. I don't remember. It's three. It's three. It's It's, it is the, the idea of promoting authentic work making with authentic in mind so yes. thinking about this idea rather than rather than do this thing because i told you to do it because someday you might need it someday maybe and te- most learners will just follow along because they're little educator pleasers you know what i mean mm-hmm. but yes. that doesn't work for everybody what if we actually gave them authentic problems to solve? You won't find greater fans of project problem or passion-based learning than the four of us—Mike, uh, Karen, Beth, and I. Uh, because now, oh, I got, I get, I gotta go to school today. I, people are relying on me to work on this. I gotta work on this project. This is something I'm really passionate about, and I have to. This problem exists in the world, and it's gonna, not, it's gonna continue to exist unless I do something about it. And so I've gotta learn my math. I gotta learn how to write. I gotta learn this strategy because otherwise the world goes on with this problem people can really learners can really get motivated about learning if they're solving problems to help someone else
3: and every learner it wasn't strategy 3 i thought you were going somewhere else yeah, but every every learner wants to make a difference and so embracing that is is so is so huge and you were hoping i know we're running out of time but I don't know if you're, you're interested in us sharing, like there's, you mentioned about maybe sharing some some favorite strategies. Yes, please do. There's actually so many, I had to limit myself, but because <laughs> I, I really get excited about sharing, you know, this whole strategy approach. And that one strategy a day, and and you can do little nuggets, like open the book and, oh, let me try this thing. But there's there's several around research and studying and around literacy and even social emotional learning. And so one of my recent favorites, and we're talking about reflection a lot, is helping our learners. We see a lot of issues around executive function skills. Are you seeing that as well? We see a lot of referrals around that. And I think COVID has impacted the development of of executive function skills. And one of the strategies is about helping learners self-identify their executive function strengths and challenges, and then implementing something beyond that. That actually is strategy 275. And I think that that's an important one in terms of development. We have a few around self-regulation and self-reflection around executive function, social emotional skills. And that's you know something that's not necessarily academic. I mean, I do have some uh, strategy 178 capitalizing on learner interests to inspire written expression. So again, learner centered approach, you know, what are their strengths and interests and then capitalizing on that. So those are just two. I have some other ones, but I don't want to I want to give Chris and Mike a chance if they if you've identified any favorites,
4: Chris, you want to go or I, I have my book here and it's got all my little post-it notes jammed in. <laughs> That's there. That's what mine what looks I, like. I, have I so I mean there's, <laughs> there's post-it notes, there's pens. But actually, I chose a different approach today, Karen, than I normally do. And and I went to the section on professional learning and I, I thought about that idea of, of how to connect with other educators and how we all can work to make each other better. And I think there's this fallacy at times that there are experts. Mm-hmm. Where we work and there are not experts. And I, I spend a lot of time trying to break that down and say, no, we're first of all, no one if someone tells you they're an expert, I personally want to run away from that person. I'm afraid of that. Person. <laughs> I don't like the term expert. I don't like when someone says it towards me, it makes me uncomfortable because that's not the case. And I, I like to point out to people is we all have expertise in certain things. That's different than being an expert. And I really like that idea of that. And so the one I chose was about, Strategy 352 towards the end of the book, igniting learning via fast-paced professional development and giving all of our educators we work with opportunities to share small instances of things they know about with others in in something that's called an Ignite session, where it's a short little sharing session um, where someone gets to choose the topic that they like to talk about. And it reinforces this idea that we all have something to share. We all have something we're good at. Karen mentioned the myth of average before that Todd Rose book and and the YouTube video and this idea of, of our, our learning profile. We all have a jagged learning profile. We have very high spots in some things and very low spots in others. And that's what makes us, us. Uh, and I think we need to celebrate that and and show people that all of us have something to, to share for the bigger, better good of our learning experiences. So that was mine today.
1: I love that.
0: For for, for, my, for my close here with strategies, rather than take the time to talk about one specific strategy, I'd like to take a second to just reflect on what Karen, Mike, and Beth and I learned by writing the book. I mean, when you go through a project like this of writing the book, you certainly learn things. And the four of us have had a great time. Well, I had a great time working with Mike, Karen, and Beth. I don't know if it's, the, it's feeling mutual, but- <laughs>
4: I also had a great time.
0: Yeah, it was was a blast. It was so fun. But one, one big, I think, thing that we wrestled with was how to design the book so that it was strategy first. Meaning if you were to, and what does that mean exactly? Like what is what is the strategy versus what is a piece of technology? So we have put things, we've defined things as strategies and then tools to support the strategies. And what we really mean by strategy is strategy and how we define this for ourselves as we were writing the book was a strategy is starts with a verb and that verb, except with a rare occasion, should not be so this is not a rule it's a guideline should not be the word using so it's not mm-hmm. using ChatGPT, using a 3D printer, right? It's, uh, okay, what's the action we want the learner to take? It's listening, it's drawing, it's, I don't know, moving, right? Analyzing. Start analyzing, yes. Okay, excellent. Start with some sort of verb and then go from there. And that's, a I think, a big takeaway we'd want from people listening today is when you're designing your educational experience, you think, okay, what? I listened to this awesome podcast today, we're, well, and we've got more to come in the season, right? This is just episode One of a a season all about inclusion. What's a change to that I can make is okay. What I'm thinking about, what I'm inviting learners to do is one self reflect. Like Karen was mentioning with that, with what she was saying with that particular strategy, two seventy five. But then, what action would I invite them to take? And think through the verb first. That's the strategy.
1: I love that. And I'm going to pose one question that we didn't have on there, and we can cut this out if for any reason we don't like it, but when we're talking about shifting how teachers are thinking what the goal is, the end goal is, how do we as a culture start making that happen? Because as a teacher, I know the feedback I get when I go in and try and make these suggestions or give them ideas that, you know, I have to do these standards. I don't make the rules. This is what I have to do. And I hear that. And I think it's legitimate. So I'm not trying to say that in a negative connotation. I'm trying to say, I think that Teachers feel they want to move forward, a lot of them, and they want to make those shifts, but they feel held back and tied down. And I think that goes all the way up to a political level of we have got to get on a national level, people understanding there has to be this shift. What is your suggestion? I mean, mm-hmm. where do we start? You guys wrote a book. That's a great start. What
3: do we? How do we build on that?
0: Who wants to go first? You know, I have something well, to say, but...
3: well we all do right well one of the things i would say first is okay what you're doing is it working how effectively is it working are you reaching every learner who is being left out yes you have these standards that yes you're being handed this curriculum whatever it is but is the approach reaching every learner and is it time to like oh you know let's consider other methods let's consider other strategies so again it's part of that reflection process, because just because you taught it doesn't mean they learned it. And so what can we do differently to empower every learner for independence and success?
0: Go ahead, Mike.
4: You want to go? No, because Karen just said that thing that just because you taught it didn't mean they learn it. And I'm just going to sit and just live in that for a minute.
0: (laughs) It's a good comment. Okay, so Holly and Shannon, this is something we hear all the time, and just to, to add on to what you were saying, Holly, what we hear from educators is, and not only do most of my kids do great on their, their standardized tests, I get evaluated through my walkthrough forms and my administrators come through and they're like, great job, look, your test scores are great for most kids, right, not all kids. Hence, Karen's point. Is it really working for everybody? Right. And if you, like we already mentioned, if you design inclusively, you're going to see those test scores go up. That said, to your point, is it time to change the test scores? The old adage is still certainly true follow the money. Right. Well, where is the money coming from? Where, well, there is a lot of money wrapped up in standardized tests. Right. So, yeah, go go and do well on these standardized tests and look and and you, you've been successful but like mike just said does that mean you really learn it no i passed the test and then i forgot it and a lot man so many kids struggle with the my own kids struggle with and i bet karen and mike's kids struggle. maybe if you have kids your kids struggle with the mundane why do i have to learn i don't understand I mean. and they're checking out of of school so a long answer a long, that's a long answer to say, reflect on how can we change the standardized tests so it's not a standardized test that we use as a metric of success. We've already seen some some volleys on that war, bringing it back to that analogy. It's like Google going, I don't care what university you, you, or Apple has said, I don't care what university you grad for, impress me with your coding skills, right? You can certainly with the open movement, you can go and learn on your own and then develop your skills on your own. You don't necessarily need to to pay for, for uh, uh skills. So I really feel like what can an educator do is they can really help push the envelope for do we, why do these standardized tests, administrators listening to your podcast can go, why these standardized tests? Is there another metric we can use to measure success that is more meaningful than passing these standardized tests? And if you just happen to be someone who develops standardized tests, realize that change is coming for you. People are realizing that, that yeah, you know what, passing this test, colleges have dropped off. Like A lot of colleges are not saying you need to show me your yeah, your SAT scores. We're going to be looking at other factors. So you better start looking at how you're writing your tests differently to measure different skills because it, it won't be here forever. People are, are are real. So if you want to stay in that game, write better tests, right? Have a different standard to measure people by.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. My daughter's applying to colleges right now and she applied to 10 and none of them require ACT or SAT. They're all test optional.
0: Mm. Wow. If you work for that company, Right? Like, you should be starting to be alarmed. Like, am I going to be around in the job? Wait, how can we design our tests differently so people will, the colleges will still value them, right? Because they don't value memorizing, spitting it back out. The internet's here now. It's been here for a long time. Kids know how to use it. That sort of stuff is is in the past. It's not
1: useful. Well, and I think, like you said, it's a huge money-making industry, standardized testing. And as educators, we all see how that impacts our students every spring when they have to go do their standardized tests and how they're pulled away from their class time. Or I I just really question, should the state of Colorado spend $25 million on standardized testing every single year? Or could we take that money and use it in education, actually supporting teachers and And making sure we have all the tools we need and all of those things. And should we follow what happens in other countries around the world that are considered in the top 10 for academics, where they test at just one or two pivotal spots in the development or in the education process? That's a whole, and you know, honestly, that is something we are going to have an episode on in this season, because it does directly impact how we're putting all students in a classroom and testing them and checking for knowledge and so it's a conversation we're going to have to have so i think it's it's good that we bring it up for sure
3: and holly i always wonder what why why did they move away from the naep the national that the, the that was given at the 5th grade 8th grade 12th grade levels and it was randomized and you know there was no stress how stressful is it every spring for both educators and learners when they know that those high stakes tests are coming up so yeah but that's another that that'll be a great right. conversation <laughs> to look forward to but That'd yeah another 45 30 you know whatever minutes yeah. that it's be- a great conversation yeah good
0: stuff it is one a last
1: conversation
0: one last point, technology can help you design better experiences. So the tech don't start with the tech. Start with what the experience is, use the technology to provide more options to learners, make your experiences more flexible. That technology can do that. And then in context of this conversation about standardized testing, the technology can help us learn the skills, evaluate the skills and help you self-reflect, you know. Uh, kids today played video games and video games at the end of the video game give you some sort of metric on how many passes you through, how accurate you were, how many, whatever the data is there, it's being collected while you're participating in the experience, not a separate test, right? So right. can the technology be baked in to give you the analysis of what you are learning? And so that, again, if if you're anyone's listening who's developing these, hmm, how can the technology be used to give us the same information without taking a, a, some sort of weird test, you know?
1: Yes. Mike, give us some final thoughts, man.
4: Final thoughts. I mean,
1: for this for this particular conversation. Oh,
4: I could I give you final <laughs> thoughts on everything. Final thoughts for this conversation flexibility is good, thinking about how you can ensure that everyone has an opportunity to be successful in your learning environment can be even better. So think about that. The tools, uh, the technology is simply a tool to get you there. The mindset is the key, is thinking about this inclusively and making sure that you are approaching learning from a place of, how do I ensure everyone can be successful here?
1: Well
2: said. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. It was such a great conversation.
4: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank Thank you for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks for for having having us. (laughs) That was such a great interview. And I hate to tattle on myself, but I had the time wrong and we almost didn't show up on time for that interview because of me. Thank the Lord that (laughs) we did. That was a little nerve wracking. Yes, it was, I think we were three minutes late, but we were there and it was such a good interview. And these people are all, and as you heard when they introduced themselves, they all are experts in their arena of information and to collaborate like they did and give a very unique, inclusive activity or idea for every single day of the year. What a brilliant idea.
2: Yeah, I really like that we got to interview another speech therapist. I think that's our first one. Right?
1: It is. In fact, was that our first OT as well?
2: If I think so.
1: I think so. And I, I know I said it in the interview, but I seriously was geeking out that Chris was on there because I have read many of his books and he just has phenomenal ideas. And I like how he comes up with these ideas that are universal for everyone. And I just, I really am a fan. So that was great. And each of them had such good information. And Mike as an engineer, his perspective is so different. And I love that they brought up some of those things that we were planning on talking about in this season anyway, like the standardized testing, like how we need to move away from maybe some traditional ideas of teaching spelling and grammar and move into this more critical thinking. How do we analyze? How do we know if data is correct? How do these students Mm -hmm. harness that to be effective, potentially down the line in a job market?
2: Yeah. And the conversation about standardized testing was really good.
1: And I think uh, that might ruffle some feathers, but I think it's important for us to really look at, do we need to do that same level of standardized testing? And how do we compare across the world for these kinds of tests, which leads us into what we're going to be coming up with in the next episode where we're going to talk to United States testing, education testing specialist, Dr. Andrew Ho. He is a professor of education at Harvard and is a public education testing expert. And he's been on panel with some other Ivy League and other testing experts looking at the NAEP testing that just came out in October, 2022. And it's the first time since COVID that this testing's come out and our scores have gone south in a big way. So he's gonna help us understand what that means and why it's important.
2: Yeah, I think that'll be a good interview. I look forward to that. I wanna hear- What his thoughts are. Right,
1: because we need to know how bad testing really ties into this whole concept of shifting how we teach and being inclusive, not just for students on IEPs, but for students of every skill level and really honoring how students access information and produce written work or any kind of work that shows what they know so that we understand that they're learning.
2: Yeah. And I really it takes me back to the book that um, the inclusive learning 365, like the way it's set up is so useful having it's kind of just like they talked about the word of the day or whatever. There are 365 and we didn't even get to talk about that last page. There's a 366 and that is creating your to stop doing list which I thought was really. kind of Oh, that's
1: awesome. I
2: didn't even notice that. Yeah, we didn't get to talk about it. I mentioned it at one point in the interview and said we'd talk about it later, but we didn't. But I just thought that was a really handy page. And it's
1: 366. So it's kind of funny. Oh, I'm (laughs) glad you pointed that out. Because that is important. And I think we all have a list we could create of things we need to not do as educators. Yeah.
2: Which is almost (laughs) easier than the things we should be doing than looking at 365 things we should do. Look at the 15 things we shouldn't do.
1: Maybe that's the starting point, right?
2: And maybe that's what we're
1: doing this season. We're looking at things we shouldn't do as well as things we should do. And we're going to start by looking at the things we shouldn't do. I'm looking at the test scores, looking at how we pair worldwide with other countries and our academic systems as well as test scores. And then looking at some of the countries that did really well. And what what do we learn from that? And how does that compare to US? Like, is it apples and oranges? Or can you compare them apples to apples? I don't know. So we have so many cool things we're going to learn this season. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It is gonna be great. And Shannon, what do we always say at the end of every episode? Together, we We can can do do better. better. See you guys next time. Bye.